Hi, everyone. It is Thanksgiving week 2020. Boy, the year really has gone by fast. Uh, I know that a lot of people can't get together with their extended families like we normally do on Thanksgiving. So I hope you're still able to enjoy it. And to help you along, I've got a couple of fun Thanksgiving facts that you can share with your family over Zoom or however you're going to do it this year. All right. Did you know that the Wednesday before Thanksgiving is known as Drinksgiving? I'm seriously not making this up. Uh, In some places, it's known as Black Wednesday. It is the booziest day of the year. Bars in the past have reported a boom the night before Thanksgiving. And then businesses like Uber uh, have often offered free rides on the night before Thanksgiving. Uh, Black Friday, we of course know about that. The, The Friday after Thanksgiving, the busiest shopping day of the year. Did you know it's also the busiest day of the year for plumbers? I'd let your mind run wild, but I don't want that to happen. It is because of all the food that ends up in the drain system. You know, whether your garbage disposal isn't working right or you're actually putting it down the wrong side of the drain, uh, that's the busiest day for plumbers. And speaking of food, if you've been on my Twitter, you know that I am not, not a huge fan of green bean casserole. Maybe I just haven't had the right one yet, but ew, gross. Uh, It's a family, you know, traditional holiday side dish for a lot of families. Did you know it was actually created by Campbell Soup Company? They're not stupid. Uh, A woman by the name of Dorcas Riley, I wish I made that up, but I didn't, who used to work in the Campbell Soup Home Economics Department, created this recipe. It was originally called Green Bean Bake, and then it became a sensation when the company started printing it on the back of its... um, cream of mushroom soup cans. So thank you, Campbell's. And then a nod to my home state of Minnesota. Did you know that Minnesota produces more turkeys than anywhere else in the United States? That's right, the land of 10,000 lakes and more. Uh, Also the land of many, many more turkeys than anywhere else. So anyway, hope you guys are able to enjoy your Thanksgiving. Okay, today's guests are a lovely couple who are documenting their experiences in the lifestyle. And and many of them do. However, unlike the other podcasts that you're going to find, and it's mostly like erotica, people just talking about their sexy experiences, they really wanted to delve into what happens when people get into the lifestyle, uh, much the way we approach it on this podcast, although for them, it's a blog and they're doing it from the point of view of someone who is in the lifestyle. It's not just that he wants to watch me with another man. He gets a little erotic thrill out of having, you know, helping guide the man's cock into me or, um, you know, for trying some acrobatic double penetration you know, having their, you know, cocks close together and feeling the rubbing. So, I mean, he's low level bisexual, but um, I really am enthusiastic about that and want to encourage that um, exploration to continue. So I find it very hot. Get ready. This is Consenting Adults. The conversations you're about to hear are intended for mature audiences. If adult themes are offensive to you, well... You might want to pull out now. So dirty talk, so yeah. sex talk. Yeah, it, it started off as dirty talk. I was actually, like, very excited to see my partner with somebody else. She looked at me and said, so you want to have sex with other people, that's what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> and you find it a turn on to hear about what he did. Yeah, and then it's like, I want to come home and get it the way she got it. Does he know you have a boyfriend? Well, yes. This 
is Consenting Adults with Lena Wynn. My guests today are a married couple who've been together for nine years, married for five years, met 12 years ago, and they've been in this non-monogamous relationship from the beginning. They're a sexy couple. Wait until you see their pictures. He's 58. Liam is an entrepreneur. She is 44. She's an author. And they met at church. That's the best part of all of this. <laughs> uh, so you guys have been non-monogamous from the beginning. Were you in non-monogamous lifestyles before meeting each other then? I got into um, having threesomes with my best friend, who is a female, with my previous husband. And um, when the marriage broke up, I continued to have sex with her. And so when Liam and I got together, I, I basically said on our first date, um, I like having sex with my best friend. I don't really want <laughs> to stop. So if you're okay with that, we'll probably be a good match. But don't you think most men would be okay with that? <laughs> he yeah. was all right with it. Yeah, I basically <laughs> dropped to my knee and proposed at that moment. <laughs> this is the woman of my dreams. How about you, Liam? Were you in a monogamous relationship? I was in a long, a long, undersexed 26-year marriage before I met Kate. So her free sexuality was like a revelation to me. But as for non-monogamous experience, it was zero. <laughs> but isn't there a difference between you know, meeting this beautiful lady and she's saying, hey, if you're okay having sex with me and me being this with this other woman, isn't there a difference between that and actually non-monogamy, meaning having sex with other people as well? Because the situation you're describing, Kate, sounds like a dream to most guys, right? Right. Yeah. For me, it happened very spontaneously in our relationship. So it's one thing to say over lunch, I've had sex with my best friend and would like to continue doing that. It's another thing for it to actually happen. And the way it happened in our relationship was so organic. It just arose out of a conversation over body image of all things. And then some clothes came off and then more clothes came off. And there was some hugging and it just went from there and it became the model of non-monogamy for us, which we didn't even know the term non-monogamy at that point. We were just following something that felt very right in the moment. But we were basically having sex together because we loved each other. And then we included someone else who we also loved and cared for. Okay. And then at what point did it move beyond that? Or has it? Yes. Um, so we, I guess for about a year, we had threesomes with her. And um, then we started exploring other non-monogamous outlets. So we found a sex club. Toronto has five different um, swingers clubs. Um, so we checked out those. Um, we went to Hedonism in Jamaica and we found online dating sites. So we started to look into, you know, the different avenues we could follow. And um, when my best friend found a serious boyfriend and he was not into sharing, we started looking at involving other people. And um, that first happened with an ex-boyfriend of mine. So our model had been three with people we care about. We weren't into, you know, fucking strangers. We liked to have sex in public. The exhibitionism was really fun. But when we went to clubs, we never hooked up with other people. Um, yeah, so we went from threesomes with another woman to threesomes with another man. And that lasted for about 18 months. 
And yeah, and then now we've done everything. <laughs> <laughs> what what's everything? Oh, we've you know we've had orgies and double penetration, and we host big um, house parties. We've gone on vacation with people. We just came back from a week in wine country where we rented a house with four couples. And um, basically had sex every night with those couples and yeah. did normal vacation, middle class things during the daytime. Yeah. The, wow. the only constant is we feel very connected to the people we have sex with. So we like to think of ourselves as social swingers. Um, it's kind of a friends with benefits situation where we need to feel comfortable and um, feel like there's a connection on an intellectual and social and spiritual level before we feel comfortable enough to have sex. So we're not just randomly hooking up with strangers, which is unfortunately what most people picture when they think of swingers. Right. We really want to feel, um, you know, a connectedness and, and our relationships have gone on for years. Right. So uh, like everything else, it, there's a spectrum, right? Correct. Let's talk about the spectrum. Everything from what to what? Are there swingers who don't have sex with other people? Yeah, so we we regularly see people when we go to clubs or even when we go on vacation who are at a sex club or a swinger resort, but you never see them participating in the sex side of it. So they just like the energy that comes in what we call the lifestyle. And so you'll see them, for example, at a sex club on the dance floor and people start filtering to the back where the beds and playrooms are to have sex. And then... When, it, when we're finished, we come out and there's those same couples on the dance floor, apparently <laughs> not having moved in the two hours since we left them. And they're in the lifestyle. They are, um, they are involved and participating, but in their own way. And their own way doesn't involve me taking off their clothes and getting together with other people. So I actually like that. I think it's great that people find their own way to connect and don't feel pressure to adhere to some program that doesn't feel right to them. Uh -huh. And then that goes all the way up to what? People who just have random hookups in the back room. So at um, one of the clubs we go to frequently in Toronto, um, there's a, an area called the Big Bed. And people will go back to the Big Bed area and um, it's just, you know, kind of fair game. They're open to whomever wants to do whatever they want. Um, often, you know, it'll be a situation where they don't even necessarily know the names of the other people. Um, so, I mean, that's, that's extreme. Most swingers do not do that, but we've definitely seen it happen where people who have never spoken before end up fucking. And, um, that's cool if they're comfortable with that, but that's not our comfort level. And we have a good friend who went to a club that has a DTF night, which is down to fuck night. <laughs> and she told us that she, at that club last year, she had anal sex with nine men she had never met before. Oh, oh my. And, <laughs> really? And she's a medical doctor. She's like a very serious, smart, wonderful, lovely person. But that was her idea of fun on that particular night. So not ours, I would say. I haven't checked with Kate lately. But <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, all right. So there is a wide spectrum of activity and, you know, whatever, whatever the turn ons and the kinks are for, for everyone in the lifestyle. Now, what I find interesting about you two in particular, when I started looking into the different lifestyles or the different 
types of lifestyles people live, researching it, looking for people to talk to. Of course, you go to Twitter, you can find anything, right? (laughs) And some of it is really, I mean, there are a lot of, if you look up swingers or lifestyle, you will find a ton of accounts. You don't see their faces and it's pretty much porn, Right. right? They're just posting hardcore stuff. Right. And then I saw you guys and it's, it's like art. I mean, you know, if just like quickly, you know, scrolling through your Twitter feed, I see like really tasteful pictures that are very sexy. And I see uh, you guys run a blog and you seem to approach it from a very, I mean, and I don't want to just say intellectual because that could sound boring, <laughs> but you approach it in a very like non-hardcore way if that makes sense. Right. <laughs> um, at the beginning of our, our forays into the lifestyle, once we got past the threesome stage, we started researching because we are intellectuals, we are readers, and we found two broad groups of people who were writing about non-monogamy. One was the clinical side, you know, people who were studying swingers as if they were rats in a lab. And then there were the Um, the people who were basically writing erotica. So they were just telling sexy stories and they made it all sound a little bit scary. Um, But what we wanted was to hear what real people experienced. You know, how did it feel physically and emotionally in the moment to watch your spouse with someone else? How did it feel after? You know, what were the ramifications of this, if any? And so we found there was a gap in the market. So five years ago, we started writing this blog to try and address that. You know, the idea with us was that we would do, um, you know, we would write about our sexy experiences, but we really wanted to have um, kind of a debriefing after effect kind of conversation. Like, how did you feel? What was going on in your mind at that point? And really be brutally, brutally honest. And some of our, some of our things have been very revealing of mm-hmm. our and our fears and our jealousy and which is not not huge but you know it exists oh so. no and if and you know the whole idea being if there were some tears shed we want to talk about that and if there was an erection that failed we want to talk about that so mm-hmm. yes there's lots of good times that's why we're in it but if you read some people's approaches it's just like bounding from one olympian experience to another to another to another and it doesn't didn't resonate with us as real human beings. And we didn't think would resonate with too many people either. So that's our approach just to be honest. And along the way, we ended up learning a lot about ourselves as we began the process of dissecting our experiences. So it's been fun, but also really um, educational for us as well. And hopefully for other people. Kate, you're clearly bisexual. Yes. How about you, Liam? Basically so. (laughs) Yeah, for me, it's um, that's definitely part of my uh, journey because my approach is, you know, so many men um, get hung up on labels and say, you know, you'll hear the question, if I do this or if I like that, does that make me gay? So I hate that approach. I just think I'm in this for as much pleasure as I can experience. And so it seems crazy that within the lifestyle, I would guess 90 percent of women describe themselves as bisexual and two percent of men do and so um i've been looking to make that part of our explorations and it's helped enormously by the fact that almost nothing turns kate on more than seeing a guy with another guy so yes 
<laughs> well, then that's a first for my guests because it's normally the other way around. Kate, can you talk more about that? Did you know that turns you on? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I've never been a huge fan of porn, but if anything is going to work for me, it would be bisexual or gay male porn. Um, so I've always known that about my eroticism. When Liam and I talk about having another male involved in our threesomes, it's not just that he wants to watch me with another man. He gets a little erotic thrill out of having, you know, helping guide the man's cock into me or, um, you know, for trying some acrobatic double penetration, you know, having their, their, uh, you know, cocks close together and feeling the rubbing. So, I mean, he's low level bisexual, but um, I really am enthusiastic about that and want to encourage that uh, exploration to continue. So I find it very hot. <laughs> wow. And, and, and Liam, you're saying, so what I'm, I guess what I'm trying to find out is, is that something that you discovered only after you got into the lifestyle or is it anything that interested you before? Well, I think like a lot of men, you might look back on your teenage masturbation fantasies and say, oh, yeah, there was that one scenario I used to think about um, with another guy. But it was, you know, one of those fantasies for 99 fantasies that involve females. But there was that means that thread was always there and it came up at different times. But I just never had the avenue because I didn't consider myself I had nothing against say, pursuing gay sex, except it just, it doesn't turn me on. It's not something per se that I went after. But in the lifestyle, suddenly you have all these options on that spectrum that you're talking about. And you say, oh, just because I perhaps don't want to have anal intercourse with another man, does that mean it's all or nothing? Or are there these other steps? So Kate was just describing a situation where, say, another guy is fucking her, and so he's, his penis is in her vagina, and, <laughs> but my hand is on her clit. And so they're very close. Mm -hmm. And part of the, the fun is also making contact with his cock and not worrying about what does that mean or what does it imply in terms of what I might like with this guy. It's just they're good sensations, and we're just following them where they take us. Are you open with your family and friends? Do they know? No. Well, actually, some. So my siblings know, my parents do not and must never know. Um, <laughs> but almost all of our friends are are in the lifestyle. And the, you know, the couple of close non-lifestyle friends we have, they certainly know. So I guess really, it's only my parents who don't know and my colleagues. Yeah. And my family, the family I grew up in, the word sex was never mentioned except one time my dad talked about during the war traveling through Middlesex in England. <laughs> that was I, I get it with the family. Um, I checked out your blog and you spoke to something that I think I'm hearing bits and pieces of, uh, and that is shame. Can you talk about getting rid of shame, shame in the lifestyle, shame in everyone's lives and, and how it affects our sexuality? Yeah, I think, you know, both of us grew up in the church, so you would expect there to be a lot of built-in shame <laughs> given that upbringing. Um, but I think we somehow avoided that because, for me anyway, I always thought if something was 
um, was good for, for you and the people you are involved with. If everyone was having fun and everyone is consenting, no one was being hurt, everyone was being loving and respectful, then there really can't be anything wrong with that. So I get that society would, from the outside, have lots of things to say. But in the moment, if it feels healthy and if it feels loving, then I don't think, I don't think there's anything to be ashamed of. Um, but I do get why we need to keep it a secret because not everyone agrees. Yeah, and the other thing too is that you know you can start with this um, surface level and say you know I don't experience shame, but we had a situation recently in our own lives. So I would have thought I feel no shame towards Kate. We've done everything, but actually, of course, we haven't done everything. Sex is like an unending buffet, and so cool. recently we had the idea of getting her a strap on, so a dildo and a strap on harness initially so she could have sex penetrative sex with other women but of course another use of those that equipment is mm-hmm. for her to have sex with me and all of a sudden that's no longer the heroic male vision of a man's role in sex it's very much a passive role and i felt embarrassed by how much i wanted it not because other people knew it was my own wife with whom I shared everything. So hmm. I think that idea of shame at some level, we might say we've moved past it, but there's, I think in everyone, there's always going to be a level where you encounter it as you continue to explore further afield from the, from the role that you've played up until that point. So that was certainly the case with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you, uh, well, you've already answered the question. I, 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 always love finding out from couples um, who haven't been in the lifestyle before getting together is, did you find anything that really turned you on that you didn't think turned you on? Or maybe that you thought for sure would turn you off? How much time do you have? (laughs) (laughs) So you found a lot, a lot of stuff that you liked that you didn't know you liked? Yeah, well, that's, that's the amazing thing. So I'll give one example. I always... I grew up with the idea that most people grow up with, which was the worst thing that can happen to a man is to see his woman with another man. So that's like, isn't that 60% of country songs are basically that (laughs) scenario? Right. And, And then one day I heard this story about a man who set up his wife um, to have sex with another man. And it was like, it was a totally terrible story in many ways but it introduced an idea to me about seeing Kate with another man. And all of a sudden I could think of nothing else. And so we found a way to do that. As Kate alluded to earlier, um, we made an arrangement with her ex-boyfriend who turned out to be the perfect partner for that exploration. And he had sex with her. And then the next day. We're no, wait a second. Up- no, 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 no. He had sex with her. What did you do? Where were you? Um, I was there and watching. Mm-hmm. Can you describe what that was like? I mean, this is the first time you're seeing it, right? Yeah. So I can say in, this is this is why I was getting ahead to the next day, but I will leap back in time. So <laughs> in the moment, I actually was observing like a scientist would, like, oh, <laughs> with a clipboard. Yeah, I didn't, really have, <laughs> I didn't really have a clipboard, but 
I was taking in all the information. Maybe that's the artist side of me. So seeing their bodies together, his cock entering her, her giving him oral sex, him touching her in different ways, him moving in different ways. But it was very clinical. And then the next day we're out by our pool and relaxing. And I am on fire with desire. We're just having sex almost continuously in the backyard. And I'm just thinking, oh, this just must be one of those days. Until Kate said, uh, do you think this has something to do with what happened last night? And it <laughs> immediately became obvious that I had been taking in all this information on an intellectual level, but at a visceral level, it was having a deep, profound effect on my libido. So, and, and the other thing is that not only was I on fire sexually, but I was so deeply in love. Uh, I was experiencing those feelings in a different way. So if someone had come to me before we tried anything and said, do you want to feel the most in love, the most attracted to your wife? Here's some advice. And if they said, let her fuck another man, just watch. <laughs> I, yeah, I would have said that's ridiculous. And a right, you and 98% of the population, right? But I'm telling you, that's what happened. And not in a little way where you say, oh, yeah, I think that had a positive effect. It was an overwhelming tsunami mm-hmm. of emotion and um, and turn on that I experienced from that thing that you would expect would cause the exact opposite. Wow, Kate, how about you, Kate? You've you've always been a really sexual person, right? I can tell. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, I think for me. And maybe it's kind of coming from the same place. So for both of us, I think a a real source of turn on is flirting with the thing that you don't want to have happen or the thing that you're most afraid of. So for Liam and maybe for many men, seeing your wife with another man would be the most humiliating, most anger inducing thing you can imagine. Mm -hmm. But that turns him on. For me, and I think probably for many women, the most dangerous thing you can imagine is being raped, um, being tied down and forced to have sex against your will. So for me, the surprising turn on has been um, bondage. So I really love being um, tied up or strapped down and flogged and spanked and And fucked. And fucked, yes. (laughs) Don't forget that part. No. Wow. Yeah. If you were to give advice to people who are not in the lifestyle, people who thought the same things you guys might have thought a long time ago, um, what would your advice be as far as kind of dipping your toes? I mean, if you have no experience in any kind of non-monogamous relationships, how do you get started without blowing up your life? (laughs) Well, I'd say it has to start in the bedroom between you. So sharing your fantasies, maybe talking in in just theoretical terms about what would turn you on, maybe seeing your partner with someone else or imagining an orgy or a gangbang or some sort of um, hot wife situation where the wife gets sent out to have sex with another man. So just talking those things through in theory with no particular target for those fantasies. I think that's a good way to, um, to just kind of mentally work through the process of, you know, what would turn me on and maybe what would my hangups be? What am I afraid of when we, when we talk about these things, what makes me uncomfortable when we go there? 
um, I think that's a good place to start. And I also love um, lifestyle vacations. So Desire in Mexico and Hedonism in Jamaica are beautiful places to go if you want to sit on the beach and drink, you know, Mai Tais and, you know, go to hot tubs. You don't have to do anything with anyone else there. You can just have a lovely vacation, but you can also watch other people from a safe distance. You can get as involved as you want to, but you don't have to. And I think um, that's a really good way if you're feeling like, yes, we've already talked it through. We want to dip our toes in, but we don't want to commit to anything. Going on that kind of vacation is a really good way to um, be exposed to lots of things and you can choose what you want to participate in. And if you participate in nothing, you are still going to have a fantastic vacation and see some sexy people walking around naked. <laughs> and the other thing I'd add is you're going to meet more people than you ever have on a beach, beach vacation ever. There's something about lifestyle resorts where people spend much of the time naked that when they're not having sex, just um, meeting at the buffet in the evening, watching the entertainment, there's just an openness that you don't get in any other setting. So whenever we've gone to a resort from the first time to the most recent time, we meet so many new people and we've done the other resorts before. We've done the sandals and the like. You come home and maybe you met one couple and you say, hey, we'll keep in touch and and in the, at a lifestyle resort, you're easily going to come home with 10 names, 20 names of people who've said, hey, here's our email address. Just chat. If you're in the neighborhood, let us know. It's remarkable. Have you ever talked to anyone who, who dipped their toes, who, you know, tried the lifestyle and, and it's just not for them and they like, you know, it didn't last? Yeah, we, we've absolutely had um, seen that happen. So we have very good friends um, in fact, the friend that um, Kate's best friend, who she had um, threesomes with and and sex one on one with early on um, in that relationship that we talked about, her um, new boyfriend and later husband wasn't enthusiastic, but he heard our stories. He was an unjudgmental, forward thinking person, and he decided to give it a try and. It, we thought that it might be a good thing for them in terms of exploring um, their sexuality outside of the hothouse of their own intense personal relationship. But it didn't work out that way. There were too many unresolved issues um, within the relationship in terms of hurts and jealousies and resentments. And the lifestyle is not a place to work through those issues with your partner. It will exacerbate them. So it will take a strong relationship and multiply it by 10, which was our case, but it will take a weak relationship and just batter it against the rocks. I think some people who are not familiar with the lifestyle and, you know, now it looks like there's more talk of it. I have heard people say, oh my God, you know, it's those liberal people. Mm. <laughs> um can you talk about the people you've met in the lifestyle? Are they all these left-leaning liberal people who don't care about anything and they're just out to have sex with a bunch of strangers? Or are we talking about a better representation of the general public? Oh, the general public is definitely represented. I mean, you can find every kind of person, every age, every body type, every religious and political affiliation. Um, there are people from every stream of society represented for sure. The people we tend to gravitate toward are generally people who 
um, our professionals with advanced degrees, um, because we like to have those intellectual conversations. And um, so we have lots of um, friends who are professors and doctors and engineers and business owners. And, um, and those are the people who stimulate us intellectually, but you can certainly find all walks of life and um, all, you know, members of society in, um, in swinging for sure. Well, we had a, an, a, an experience with a couple on one of our very first trips to hedonism to in Jamaica, we met a couple and um, he was a New York City policeman and she was working in the healthcare field. And we had a connection with them on our very last day, ended up having sex with them in our room. And it was really wonderful. They were lovely people. They had a great story in terms of how they had met and blended their families together. But when we got back, we connected on Facebook and he was a person, although this was not a factor in 2013 when we met them, he's a Trump supporter. Mm-hmm. So it was actually illuminating. We didn't discuss politics and we would be the opposite of Trump supporters as people. Mm-hmm. But we got to see um, someone who maybe we would never connect with in any other sphere of life up close and see that they too were lovely people who had a great relationship, deeply cared about each other, and just as it turned out, happened to have different political inclinations than we did. I've heard a lot that there are people in the lifestyle who are professionals, who um, have high standing in their communities, and they're all in the shadows because of where they are, because of how successful they are, and because they're worried about the fallout. Uh, Would you say that that's pretty much the the case and why people aren't open about it? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think, you know, within within your closed lifestyle circle, you're going to find lots of people who are, um, you know, open-minded and, you know, very solid, normal individuals with good jobs and kids and, you know, running around to soccer games on weekends. And, um, you know, we're all very normal (laughs) within the lifestyle, but there's a perception from the outside that, um, you know, that we are degenerates or that we are dangerous or we're going to, you know, take their husbands away. Um, So I, I think, you know, while there's no shame within the lifestyle, there's a lot of concern about the misunderstandings of people outside it. So um, I think if you were to come in from the outside and even, you know, just come to one of our parties, you would see so much um, goodwill and friendship and very normal people having very normal conversations. And we also, you know, kiss and touch and sometimes have sex with each other. But it's, um, it's, you know, it's something you have to experience in order in order to fully understand. And most people are not willing to experience it. So they're just going to come to it with misconceptions. And that's what feels dangerous to us. We have two friends, two of our closest friends are both professors. And they teach at the university level in the educational field. And they both supervise PhD candidates and lead departments. And it's important for them that this secret doesn't get out, not because they're ashamed at all, but because they're worried about it affecting their relationships with the people who report to them and that they it introduce that it might introduce maybe an uncomfortable layer of sexuality to what otherwise is an important mentorship relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's unfortunate, don't you think? 
that we still live in a society where something that brings people so much joy and happiness and pleasure uh, still has to be kept behind closed doors. Well, I think of it a lot in relation to my kids. So my kids don't know. And um, and there are many reasons uh, behind that. But I often think, you know, our big job as parents is to prepare our kids for a lifetime of work and to prepare our kids for lifetime relationships. And what we've discovered in the lifestyle is not a trivial enhancement to what we have, but an unbelievable um, explosion of possibility that we've entered on. And so to not share that with my kids, to, to say, I've discovered something that can bring enormous amounts of happiness, but I can't tell you about it, feels wrong. So that's something that we're working through. I assume I'll tell them at some point, but um, up to now, we've not had, not felt comfortable doing that. How old are they? 31, 27, and 22. Oh, so they're, they're adult and you still don't feel comfortable. Yes, and it has to do with, well, maybe I'll let, um, Kate described the reasoning. <laughs> well, I mean, I would feel more comfortable telling my own son, who's 20, um, but I don't feel comfortable with Liam telling his kids because I'm the evil stepmother, right? So um, <laughs> I don't want to give them more reason to um, be suspicious of me or um, to reawaken some of their um, feelings about, um, you know, Liam's divorce from their mother and why that might have happened. So I just, I want to be very cautious not to um, turn anyone against us. Right. And <laughs> right. Well, and, and it, it comes from everyone else not having the kind of understanding that you do. Right. right. So you can tell people about it. You can tell people how great it is and how happy you are. But because of their own beliefs, they may refuse to believe that you're happy. They may refuse to believe that this is a good thing. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think that's part of why we write the blog, because we have learned all these lessons and had all these insights, and we are desperate to share them with people because we see how much it's improved our life and we know how much it could potentially improve other people's lives if it were normalized for them. And so because we don't feel comfortable telling people in our immediate sphere or, you know, our children, um, we feel like we can at least reach out to whatever anonymous strangers want to follow us online and read our stories. And maybe those people will hear something that will encourage them um, to try it and maybe their lives can be made better. For the person sitting at home who, okay, this doesn't sound so weird, but it does sound dangerous, especially if you've got a professional job and an image and a family and a community, right? Um, and they want to find out more about it. It still feels really unsafe. Like, what if someone finds out? Is there any kind of code in the lifestyle or is there a way to do it where you won't be found out? You have to assume that it, it could get out. And, you know, we're putting ourselves at extra risk by having, you know, the blog and the Twitter account and doing these interviews. Um, but there are, the vast majority of people in the lifestyle have kept it a secret, some of them for 20 plus years. If you are cautious, people within the lifestyle, they're not going to out you, right? It's the people who don't understand and who are judgmental and 
you know, shocked by this. So you have to be very cautious about who you tell outside of the lifestyle circles. But I think discretion is, you know, top priority for most people within it. Mm -hmm. So for example, we saw a person that I work with at a lifestyle event. So we walked into this weekend long hotel takeover and there were two of my colleagues setting up signs. And I immediately turned around and walked right out of the hotel because I was freaked out. Um, but then we came back together and we had a conversation and, you know, we, it's kind of mutually assured destruction. So I'm not going to tell on you. You're not going to tell on me because neither one of us wants our secret to be out. So, you know, within the closed circle, it feels quite safe. But I often think, you know, that we are in the lifestyle very much where gay people were prior to Stonewall. So they had a secret, a secret that they felt enriched their lives, was core to their identity, but that wouldn't be accepted by others. So I often think, you know, that would still perhaps be the case for people in same-sex relationships, except for some brave people decided that they would not um, act ashamed and stay in hiding, but come out of the closet. And so I think, you know, we're trying in our own way to make our little ventures outside of our safety bubble. And I think that's happening among uh, many other couples as well. But we need to actually do as um, as people in the non-monogamy world, as swingers, to use that term, what gay people did a generation before, which is to be open about something, not because we are exhibitionists at heart, although we kind of are exhibitionists <laughs> at heart, but because there's some great information that we've come into contact with that more people need to know about. To follow along on their journey, you can find this lovely couple at themonogamishmarriage.com. All right, next time on Consenting Adults, a newbie's first trip to a BDSM club opens the door to a new career. I'll never forget it. There's this eight-foot-high cube crucifix with a woman suspended in it and there's a guy in high heels a mohawk in stockings choking this woman with his high heel he's standing on her throat then he takes out the whips and he starts whipping her i thought to myself i could do this that's next time on consenting adults